Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, so I'm going to uh, jump into the Word. I want to give you a couple of uh, just uh, tips before we get started. First of all... Um, at the end of our time together, we're going to uh, take some time to invite the, uh, the Lord to just bless us and fill us with his spirit today. And so that's a really, really big day. Uh, this will be a, a, a really powerful experience for all of us. So I want to just kind of set your hearts towards that. Um, Andrew, I see you back there. I know there's several people here that are going to be doing, uh, they're going to be praying for people. Uh, at the end, Andrew, what I would uh, encourage you guys to do is just to watch people and come around and just kind of put a quick hand on their shoulder. So, um, all right. So, Lord, just come and, and just have your way. So, two weeks ago um, at Easter time, I preached a sermon called Reunion, and we talked about how uh, the, how Jesus' resurrection uh, enabled us to have a reunion with God our Father. And um, what I tried to do two weeks ago is I tried to um, help us to get in touch with everything that uh, we were saved from. I tried, if you guys remember, I tried to help you guys to, to sort of think back to what your life was like before uh, Jesus entered your life. And I invited um, the church to email me and to, uh, to send me your transformation story. I don't know if you guys remember this, but several of you guys did that. And what I asked you to do is I asked you to um, send me the story of your life before Christ uh, entered your life and then the difference that uh, Christ made, the story of your life after Christ entered. And I, I just want to thank you guys for uh, writing to me, those of you that did that. And it was so powerful. It was such a powerful experience for me to read your stories because you were so transparent and you were so vulnerable. And um, it was it was really amazing for me to see what God had done in your life uh, over the course of your lifetime. But I want you to know that I noticed um, a, a theme in several of uh, the emails that I got. And the theme that I noticed was that several of you said that um, that God had done so much in your life um, but yet, there was still a battle in your life. Lots of you said that in spite of the fact that God had done uh, amazing things in you, you, you had, had written to me that you were still uh, needing breakthrough, that you were still fighting battles, that there were still areas of your life that, that were painful, still areas of your life that you were struggling with and that you were still contending for. And, and I wanted to share that with you guys um, for, for two reasons. One, I just want you to know that if you wrote something like that or if you feel something, something like that, you are not alone. You are not alone at all. Um, and, and what I was thinking about as I was sort of just meditating on today is I want to just speak to you that things are not yet as they must be, are they? Things are not yet as they must be. They're not yet as they must be really in almost every area of your life. I was thinking about just my heart lately. And um, I, Molly and I have been working uh, loads and loads on our hearts over the last uh, six or eight months or so. We've been focusing on just getting healed of like past stuff. We've been working on our marriages and things like that. And, um, and one of the things that I have 
become, you know, really, really aware of is what's going on in my own heart. And one of the things that I've discovered is that almost on a daily basis, something will happen in my life and I will experience anxiety. And sometimes I'll even, actually often I'll experience some level of condemnation and guilt uh, in that, that moment. And um, I, I, I just have to tell you that, that I, it's, it's almost like this, this daily experience of feeling those feelings. And I was, I started to think about, um, my dog. Okay. So Molly and I do, we don't have a dog at home, but I grew up, uh, in my nuclear or my, my family of origin with sheepdogs my whole life. So even before I was born, the Kiefer family had sheepdogs. And the first sheepdog that we had, I don't even remember that, that dog's name was Saint. The first sheepdog that I remember was Muffet. So we had Muffet, and then uh, we had Molly, believe it or not. And uh, when Molly and I got married, Molly was the family dog and the new wife. Uh, then Libby came around, and our current uh, family sheepdog is Ollie. And Ollie is a, is, is like every other dog in the world. So when, when Ollie, uh, when Ollie has, is just having a normal day, if we go out for dinner or something like that, and we come back home, Ollie is like right there at the door, ready to greet us, super excited, you know, jumping up and licking us and everything. But if Ollie has been up to no good, right? If Ollie has done anything wrong, gotten in the garbage can or whatever, when we open up that front door, where's Ollie? Not at the front door, right? Ollie is nowhere to be found. And so as soon as we notice that the dog is not there, we know something is wrong. And so we usually head over to the kitchen. And sure enough, there's like garbage all over the kitchen floor. And then we begin the search for Ollie. And usually Ollie can be found in the furthest recesses of the house somewhere hiding behind a bed, right? And dogs like us, they carry this incredible sense of shame when they mess up. And you can just see it on their face, right? Um, and, 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 and so, you know, uh, it's sort of the same way with us that we carry that sense of shame. We carry that sense of like being scolded in some ways when we mess up. And I don't know about you guys, but I internally tuck my tail between my legs and I find myself hiding from people when I've messed up or, or worse than that. Um, I decide that the best defense to what is going on in my heart and the way that I feel is a good offense. And so I start offending people around me and going after people around me. And I just want you guys to know that things in our hearts are not yet as they must be, are they? Things are not yet as they must be in our homes yet. Um, people, uh, if you're my age, one of the things that people my age are starting to, to uh, work through is the decline of our parents. My, my mom and dad have been in a, a great struggle lately. My mom has been in and out of the hospital uh, almost every week for months now. My dad is tired and he's struggling and it's a, it's a real challenge. If you're a parent of young kids, you watch your kids you know, struggling with uh, school or struggling in relationships. There's all kinds of struggles. If you've been married for a while, you know that marriage can be full of tension. Sometimes we feel distance in our marriages. Uh, things are not yet as they must be in our, in our family life. They're not yet as they must be in our work life either. And, and, you know, we would, at some point, we probably hoped that our workplace would be a place of fulfillment. It would be a place of, you know, where we'd find our meaning, where we'd find camaraderie. And yet so often, even our jobs are just a battle. I heard of one person that lost uh, his job this week. We experience personality conflicts. We feel stress. We get, you know, we're dealing with unrealistic expectations and a lack of appreciation. 
Even here at Thrive, things are not yet as they must be. We bump into each other. We pray prayers that don't get answered. We struggle to get traction in our vision. We get frustrated. Sometimes we get overlooked or ignored, even here in the church. And so things are not yet as they must be. And so the, the, the staff here at Thrive, we have, uh, we've been working and we have this goal for our church. We have this goal for all of us, and that's that we want to help you to become followers of Jesus that are just as passionate, just as powerful, just as transformed into the image of Jesus that the first followers of Jesus were. That's what we're dedicating ourselves to. And that may sound like sort of a big thing, but it is God's absolute intention that that would happen. It's God's intention that we would actually thrive in this life. And Jesus told his disciples, didn't he, that someday we would do What? Even greater things than the things that he did. He said that he would give us his Holy Spirit as a deposit inside of us. That he would give us the keys to the kingdom of God. And that as we would be transformed, that you and I would transform our workplace, our homes, our church, and really the whole world. And that is amazing stuff. But we were created for nothing less. God put us here for nothing less. And I just want to I want to ask you, would you amen that? Can you, can you agree with me on this incredible invitation, this incredible, incredible calling that each of us have? Are you with me? Okay. All right. I just want to check. <laughs> like, I want to make sure that we're all together here, right? And so this is big stuff, but, but, you know, the, the question is, how will we get there? And I, I just want to challenge us that what we are trying to become, really, the only way that I can describe it is that we're trying to become a people that are, we're on fire. We are just on fire for God. We're trying to build a people that would be completely on fire and that we would carry the Lord everywhere we go in the fire of him. And we do this because I believe that you and I know that we were created for more than this. I believe that you know that you were created for more than just having a great family or having comfort in this world or having some money. There's something inside of us that stirs and we long for more than what we're experiencing, don't we? And I know, too, that, that, we, um, that we have gotten a sniff of the power of God and the goodness of God and the majesty of God. And I think if you've tasted anything of God, then you know that there's even more to him than what you've yet experienced. There's more of his glory, more of his kindness, more of his love, more of his mercy to be experienced than what you and I have yet to experience. And God is inviting us. He's saying, come, come. And know me. Come and experience me. Come and, and be uh, in my life and a part of me. And so God has a dream for this church. God has a dream for Thrive. God has a dream for Palatine. He has a dream for Arlington Heights and Barrington and Chicago and America. And he has a dream for the world. And he has deposited that dream into you and into me. We carry that dream with him. And so if you want more. If you know that there's more available, I want to tell you guys that this is not all there is, and things are not yet as they must be. And so we, um, last week, we launched into a brand new series, and we're digging into the book of Acts, right? I gotta, gotta wet my whistle here. 
So we're digging into the book of Acts, and uh, the, the, the title, the actual title of the book of Acts was the Acts of the Apostles, but, but after reading it, lots of people said that the, a better name for the book of Acts is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's a recording of how the church was birthed, and how, and why Christianity spread like wildfire all over the known world, even in the midst of unbelievable and incredible opposition. And so this morning... We actually find ourselves at a, the maybe the pivotal moment in the biblical story. Next to the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are at the pivotal moment in all of Scripture. That's what we're dealing with today. Okay, It's the recording of how God birthed this church. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happened in this moment called Pentecost. And what I want us to see, you guys, is that this is what happened at Pentecost and the church that was birthed out of Pentecost is God's blueprint and God's design for the whole church. Because before the book of Acts... Uh, there was no church, right? Before the book of Acts, there weren't denominations, there wasn't Christianity, and the Bible doesn't teach us anything about versions of Christianity. It doesn't teach us anything about denominations, right? There weren't evangelicals and Catholics and Protestants and Charismatics and whatever else there is out there. Those things didn't exist. There was only one type of Christian. There was only one type of church, and it was a Christian, and it was a church that was filled with and empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the only one that exists in Scripture, and it is undeniable, and it is without question. And so today, we're going to look at God's design for us by looking at uh, the first church. And we're going to pick up the story at the beginning uh, of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I want you guys to know that this is going to be a very, very scripture-heavy day. There's going to be scripture all over those screens. Uh, you can write them down uh, if you want to, to refer back to them. We're just going to be, I'm just going to be basically reading scripture to you for the rest of our time together. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to... Um, welcome you. I'm trying to warm your heart. I'm trying to make a biblical case that all of us uh, are invited to experience the Holy Spirit today in a, in a, in a very powerful way, in a very profound way. Okay, so we're going to look uh, at the events of Pentecost. And uh, as you probably know, if you've read the Gospels, you know that before Jesus uh, you know, was crucified, he started talking about this promise of the Holy Spirit. He started talking to the disciples and he said, I'm going to go away. And they were freaking out. They were sad. They were scared. And Jesus said, don't worry, because if I go away, things are going to get even better for you. And they couldn't believe that. But here's what Jesus said. And I'm going to whip through uh, some scripture here very quickly. John 16, verse 7, Jesus said this. He's talking to the disciples, and he's actually talking to you and I. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, which is amazing, because if we can think about Jesus sort of being like attending Thrive, like, hey, Jesus comes to our church. Like, how cool is that? Jesus said, oh, it would be much better if I didn't attend your church. It'd be far better if I went away. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Who's the helper? That's right. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26. 
But when the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus uh, promised us and his disciples that I'm going to send you my spirit. And when I send you the spirit, it's not going to be in some sort of ethereal, intangible way where you don't know whether or not the spirit is real. You won't know whether or not the spirit exists. It will be experiential. It will be powerful in our lives. Why? Because the spirit is going to do some amazing things. The Holy Spirit is going to cause us to fall more in love with Jesus. The spirit is going to give us power for overcoming in this life, the Spirit is going to create intimacy in us between us and God. The Spirit is going to cause us to love people that are far from God. The Spirit will deeply impact our lives. And of course, God's uh, promise of the Holy Spirit existed far before Jesus was on the scene. And so uh, in uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 17, uh, Peter is actually quoting the prophet Joel. And he said this, in the last days... God says, sorry, I know I'm scratching there. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. In other words, he's saying, I will pour out my spirit on everybody. Everyone, men and women, servants, high class, low class, everyone. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the book of Isaiah, uh, God says this, for I will pour out water on a thirsty land. And although some of us feel thirsty right now, I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's, that's you and I, guys. That's us. And so God's plan for us after Jesus died on our behalf, after we conquered sin and death, is that he would launch the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we, the church, would continue the mission of Jesus. We would continue preaching the word of God, the words of Jesus, and we would carry the power of God and see and, and show the world the display of his power. And so we're just going to dig into the story. This is the Pentecost story. I'm going to read it all the way through. Okay, so let's just do that together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were saying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And some, however, of course, there's always haters, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And then here comes Peter, and he preaches the first Christian sermon after the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I'm only going to read half of this. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So there it is. That is our beginning. That is our beginning. And what I want to, what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to debunk a few myths around, around Pentecost, uh, in the hope that at the end of this, all of us would just be craving to be touched and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't know if you have a background like mine or if you have a mind like mine, but I know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm sometimes gonna refer to it as the filling of the Holy Spirit, and to me, they're the same. Okay, so they're interchangeable at this point. Um, but I know that for some of us, we have maybe been taught something that was incorrect in a different church. Maybe we've had a bad experience where we were in a setting and uh, people were kind of acting in, in ways that were difficult for us or maybe even ungodly. I know that this can kind of carry a little bit of baggage, but I want to just challenge us that uh, the price of not experiencing everything that God has and the price of not experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit is too high a price to pay to, to just be safe and to not uh, do something that might that even you might feel is just a tiny bit weird or something like that. And I want us to remember, you guys, that we need all of God in our lives because things are not yet as they must be. And so I, I, I don't know about you, but I want as much of God as I can today. I want as much of his wisdom as I can get. I want as much of his love as I can get. I want as much of his power and his majesty as I can get. I want him to cause me to love Jesus like I have never loved Jesus before. And so I want you to ask yourself, how much of God do you want this morning? How much of God do you want this morning? So we're going to debunk a couple of quick myths here. The first one is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is just for some super spiritual or super weird Christians, right? That's what I used to think. And it's kind of like what we experience today in the American church, right? Spirit-filled Christianity uh, is seen as just a segment of the church, right? It's just this tiny little segment of the church. It's not for the whole church. And you can actually have a fully activated, uh, you can be a fully activated disciple of Jesus without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the myth, right? But the reality, the fact is, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all Christians. So let's look at the, what the scripture has to say about that. In Acts chapter 2 verse 4, it says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And just a few minutes later, right, Peter goes outside and he preaches this sermon and everybody is just like cut to the quick, the Bible says, right? They're just like, what do we do? And Peter finishes his sermon by saying this in verse 38. Repent. 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, and it's for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. This is us. Skipping ahead a couple of chapters, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, there's another gathering, and it says, after they prayed, the whole uh, place where they were, where, where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And so how many believers, scripturally speaking, how many followers of Jesus does God desire to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? All, right? Good to know. That's us. This seems different than what I've experienced in past church settings. Right. Usually, uh, if there is some sort of an invitation uh, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what people do is they'll 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 have a service kind of like this, and then um, the worship team will come up and uh, and then they'll invite people to come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in my experience, usually about ten percent of the people will show up for something like that. But that is not at all the intention of God. We were all created for this, and we don't want to miss out on the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the Holy. Spirit is the one who is our helper. The Holy Spirit is the one who is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is the one who is our conduit to the heart of God and the, and the goodness of God and the majesty of God. And we don't want to miss out on that because we cannot be victorious without this. And so I just want to speak to you. If you come from a Catholic background, like I did, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you come from a uh, Willow Creek background, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you came from a Lutheran church, You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all do. This is for all of us because the Spirit brings power and brings the presence of God in our time, in a time in our lives where things are not yet as they must be. Second myth is this. If you are a believer, you already have the Spirit. And the actual fact to that is, well, that's actually true. You do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was talking to this Pharisee Nicodemus, uh, Jesus said this to him. Nicodemus is like trying to figure things out. And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and of the Spirit, capital S. And so there is no coming to faith in Christ without the person of the Holy Spirit. But that is different, guys, than being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit, but if you haven't asked, if you haven't invited the Holy Spirit specifically to to, to fill you, then you have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see is these are two separate events very often, not always, but very often, these are two separate events that we see in the book of Acts. Because quite honestly, the gospel was spreading so quickly that sometimes people received faith in Christ, but they hadn't yet heard of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, we see uh, Philip, one of the followers of Jesus, and he went down to a city in Samaria, and there he proclaimed the Messiah, it says, right? And so Philip apparently preaches this killer message, because after he preached this message, everybody wants to believe in Jesus. Everybody comes to faith, right? And so we skip down uh, to verse 12, and it says, but when they believed Philip... As he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of of, uh, Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women. Now, this is a water baptism that he's talking about. Verse 14 says this. 
when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent no less than Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers uh, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19. Uh, this refers to Apollos, who is a, a Christian preacher. And it says, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he asked them right out of the gate, first thing, he said, then he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I love their answer. We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit, right? And so uh, uh, he said, Paul said, well, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul, once again, placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And so I want to point out two things to you guys. First of all, I, I, I want you guys to note that very often people had a saving faith in Christ. In other words, they probably were already sharing their faith with other people. If they would have died, they would have gone straight to heaven. And yet they hadn't yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the early church, the first church, was very much like our church. Because many of us received a water baptism, but we hadn't yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're two separate events in our lives. But the second thing that I want you to note is the urgency here. There is an urgency uh, on the part of the, the apostles to see people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was important enough that they sent no less than Peter and John into Samaria, which was a trip that nobody wanted to make, to lay hands on these people so that they could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was important enough that when Paul arrives in Ephesus and he discovers that there's some followers of Jesus, the first thing that he asks them is, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I just was sort of daydreaming and I thought, if, um, if Peter and Paul and, and John were to just like show up at Thrive this morning, right? And, and, uh, and one of the guys were to say, hey, do you, Kev, would you mind if I like said a few words? I would gladly relinquish the pulpit. I would not hold Peter and John and Paul off, just so you know. Uh, and when they got up here, here's what they would say. The first words out of their mouth would be to look at you and to look at me. And they would say to you and I, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what they would say to you and I. It is that simple because it is that central for all of us. And so I'm going to quickly share one last myth. And it's uh, uh, and this one is for all of us. But this the last one is particularly for those of us that have previously been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. To which I would ask, why would it be? Why would it be? If the Spirit being poured out upon us comforts us, if the Spirit pours, being poured out upon us gives us power for victorious living in Christ, if it reveals Jesus and causes us to fall in love with Christ, if it gives us a vision for sharing the gospel with people in our lives, then why would this event be a one-time event? And the fact of the matter is, is that we need to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Here's what Paul had to say, uh, actually, in the, in the book of Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians. He said this, Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And that verb, be filled, it's actually in the present continuous tense. And what it means is, is you keep on being filled. Just keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And so, for those of you guys, I just want to say, for those of us that have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John would say to us, get baptized in the Holy Spirit today. You're going to love it. It is a gift of God. And for those of us that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's been a little while, Paul would say, today is a good day to keep on being filled because things are not yet as they must be. And the Spirit is available to fill us with power. The Spirit is available to fill us with love. It's available to just warm our hearts and strengthen us and give us wisdom and give us peace. And so um, what we're going to do, Jess, if you want to come up in the team, we are going to, um, we're going to take some time and... uh, And of course, this is totally voluntary, but we're going to take some time and invite God to minister to us. And we're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, whether it's for the first time or it's uh, for the first time in a little while. And so um, if you guys would be so kind as to just stand up, I'd like you guys to stand. And I'm just going to kind of lead our time together. And um, we have loads of time. We kind of rearrange things so that we would have time to just rest in God's presence. Um, and so here's what, here's what I just want to invite you to do. Jess is just going to play quietly behind me. And just what I want you to do, uh, if, you, if, um, if this is where you're at, is I would just invite you to just, um, just start to open up your heart. Just open up your heart. Uh, to God, open up your heart to Jesus right now. Of course, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus. And I know that um, we all come with uh, just parts of our life that aren't working, parts of our life that that need a breakthrough. Um, And God wants to minister to us today. And he wants us to encounter him today. And so uh, just as, as the, the worship team is kind of playing, I just want you to open up your heart to everything that God has for you. And I, I, I love how Jesus at one point, he was talking about gifts. And he said, you know, you parents, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. But your good gifts are nothing compared to the gifts that God wants to give you. Your gifts are nothing compared to how good your heavenly father is. And he said, the best gift of all is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you this morning. We welcome you. We just say, come Holy Spirit. We know that that you're already here. We know that you already have delightful plans for each one of us. Just open up your heart to him. And and if if you're desirous of this, if you're ready for this, I would just invite you to say, Holy Spirit, would you touch me right now? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my life right now? Holy Spirit, would you come and baptize me? Fill me to overflowing. I 
and just wait with expectancy. God wants to give you his spirit. He wants to to pour himself out on you more than you want him to. Just receive, wait on him. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us more, Lord. Give us more. The Spirit of God is, is, is truly here. He's truly in this place. And um, I just want to speak to you, uh, some of you, as the Spirit begins to touch you, some of you may experience um, a physical sensation of some sort. I know that whenever um, God touches me, I begin to feel a warmth. Sometimes I feel just this peaceful heaviness. I know some people begin to shake a little bit. I don't know what the Lord will do. But I just would encourage you to welcome whatever it is that he's doing. And if you, if you don't feel anything, it's not about that. God will deliver on his promise, but just be open to whatever it is that God has for you right now. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Give us more. Give us more of your presence. Fill us to overflowing. Come, Lord. Um, We have a few people that are uh, here to pray. And so uh, those of you that are willing, if you would just kind of slip in and just put a quick hand on the shoulder of of people and just bless what God is doing in them. If you can do that right now, you don't have to linger. Just bless what God is doing. Come, Lord, give us more of you. The Lord loves your hunger. The Lord loves your desire for him. Just cry out to him. Say, Lord, I want more of you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me to overflowing. Keep crying out for him. He has given his spirit. Come, Lord, give us more. Give us more, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, come. Yes, Lord. Fill us to overflowing. Thank you, Lord. I just want to invite you. Very often, we read it today, very often when... Uh, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes uh, the Lord will give us an utterance to speak in other tongues. That's what the Bible says. That he'll give us the ability and the desire to speak in other tongues. I want to invite you to, to, to do that. He'll give you the utterance and you just open up your mouth and just speak whatever the Lord is, is speaking to you. This is a gift of God. Yes, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord Jesus. Some of you might be experiencing just like rising levels. You could just feel uh, the, the presence of God building in your heart. Just keep going with that. Keep going with that. Don't bail out yet. Thank you, Lord.
Holy Spirit, we invite you to release gifts this morning. Lord, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of mercy, Lord, gifts of leadership, gifts of tongues, Lord. Lord, release your gifts over us this morning. Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do today. Keep coming. This is an important moment for us. Just keep opening your heart. Keep crying out to God. Just say, Lord, I hunger for you this morning. I want more of you this morning. Thank you, Lord. If you feel something, that's great. If you don't feel something, that's totally fine. God is faithful to give. Lord, give us more. Give us more. Spirit wants to come and bring refreshing over you. Those of you that just need to be refreshed, just ask ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you refresh me in this moment? Give us more, Lord. I sense that um, the Lord is just stirring up a desire in some of us today. Lord, just increase our hunger for you. Wreck us for anything less than you. those of you that are at home, just make this space a holy space. I feel like um, some of you have felt like you've fallen asleep for a while and the Lord is just waking you up this morning. He's just reviving you this morning. Lord, pour out your power upon us this morning. Um, If you just have a desire, if you've ever had a desire for a a gift of healing, one of the spiritual gifts is, is a gift of healing. It's the ability to be used by God, to lay hands on people and to see them healed of whatever it is that's going on in them physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually. If you uh, want to receive a gift of healing, I would just encourage you to open up your hands right now and just allow the Lord to touch your hands. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, fill our hands with healing power. You might even... Uh, feel a sensation of, of heat on your hands, that's probably a sign that the Spirit is touching you. 